Hi, we've got a big show for you today, briefly discussing fuel prices in Australia and how that's been affected throughout the world. And then we'll move on to governments calling for, in particular the Australian governments calling for certain groups to be nominated or to be classified as terrorist groups. Welcome to my cast. Okay, so recently we've seen a rise in fuel pricings again, and I've gone back and I've had a look at some of the some of the statistics, uh, some of the um, and st- obviously statistics over a number of years, and some of the changes that have been made in policies with certain governments that you could say have had an effect on the cost of fuel. Not the whole effect, but an effect on the cost of fuel. There's certain organisations out there saying that it's got nothing to do with political ideology and changes within governments within the world, but there's absolute proof that this has been affected by changing governments and changing government policies, in particular government policies in the states that have uh, differing opinions on uh, climate change policy. Okay, so... There's a direct correlation between the prices of fuel and who's been in government in the States over a period of between 1990 through to 2020. And what changes have we seen over these times that could have that possible effect on these prices? So what we've seen is when we had Obama in office a while ago, uh, who had some views on climate change, um, and the, the rising cost of fuel that has happened over the period of his uh, presidency or his term. And then the change that happened when he didn't run for election and it was Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump and Donald Trump came in and reversed a lot of these policies and it had an immediate effect, an immediate effect on the price of fuel in um, the USA and throughout the world. And the two places where I've had a look are in Australia and in South Africa. Just so two, two nations in different geographical areas and, uh, and differing government styles, just to show that where this effect, where this change comes from. So the things that, uh, that, that Donald Trump removed from their uh, climate policy change or climate policy was his, um, the climate action plan that the Obama had out. And it focused on three areas. There was a, an executive order on climate change. And, and the executive order on climate change was pretty much, well, the, you know, the leftist panic button on climate change. We have to do everything and we have to do it now. The, the, the world, if we don't change it now, it's got five years to live and we need to make radical changes. He changed the clean power plan. Again, this sort of like links in with my first comment. The clean power plan that they had was designed to be implemented far too quickly. And the financial burden of these changes was not considered when they made these policy changes. And the financial burdens that I'm talking about is the fact that clean energy at the moment is very expensive. The abundance of 
fossil type fuel energy that is still available within the world at a cheaper price. The the clean power plan also didn't allow for uh, it w- the, the approach would have been better to have been visualised as a gradual change. So bring in some some clean power at 5% and remain 95% at uh, fossil fuel power and work on a timeline, but make that timeline reviewable based on the outcome and the cost effectiveness of that as well. Because what's happening now with, or what happened then with the... Uh, with the reduction in fossil fuels, is it? It affected some of the states in America and their and their their economic viability for a long time. Caused a lot of unemployment and things like that. And they, he had a moratorium on uh, federal coal programs. So basically, that was a a, um, a practice of saying that we needed to um, stop paying coal companies so much money to try to uh, subsidise their ability to to get fuel out there um, and to be able to have restrictions on import, uh, sorry, export requirements that are financial requirements, trying to make fuel cheaper so that basically the fuel companies could sell the fuel cheaper. So they cancelled that as well. There was claims by the Obama government as well that climate change uh, was a growing threat to national security. And their policy was to ensure that the uh, the current impacts of the climate change and that those that were anticipated in the coming decades be identified and considered in terms of national security policies and plans. Um, but there was no real qualification given to what that was going to look like. And and tariffs on waters and things like that. So, so what we're experiencing here in Australia, especially in the southern states at the moment, where they're trying to or they're trying to implement plans that uh, farmers have to pay for rainwater and they want to tap and gauge rainwater as well. And there were similar things going on in the states with that as well. So within uh, Australia, historically, um, over the periods that I spoke about before, so we'll concentrate on, say, 2002 through to 2020, we saw a, um, you know, in 2002, it was uh, 83 cents a litre. And when we get up around to um, 2020, 2013, when the Obama government was in power, it's nearly double that, $1.44. And that was a a gradual rise based on changing policies within uh, the the Democratic or the the Liberal governments, so the the, the leftist governments. And then after um, Donald Trump went into uh, office in 2017, we saw a rapid decline of the uh, the prices of fuels as well. Now, looking at the most recent prices of fuel in Australia, uh, leading up to the end of last year, so December, so you know, um, still including uh, after the, uh, the the U.S. election, they made a statement, and this statement came from uh, Sea Store. Uh, so it's a convenience and impulse retailing on uh, from Australia. That prices on fuel had stabilised quite well, and they uh, were uh, looking forward to a bit of stability in 2021. But um, as I mentioned before, um, the democratic governments have a completely different approach to climate change, which has a direct impact on fuel companies in the states being able to produce fuel and produce fuel 
at a price that's um, affordable and to keep the prices down for what we're paying at the pump. So now what's um, been predicted in, in South Africa, I mentioned earlier, is one of the places I looked at is in South Africa. They've already predicted um, the which has already happened. So in before February, they predicted that there was going to be massive fuel price rises in uh, in South Africa, and they directly related that to the policy changes being made by the Biden government, and making it harder for the fuel companies to produce the fuel, making it harder for the fuel companies to sell the fuel, so the removing subsidies, etc., at an affordable price got to remember that these companies need to remain viable they've got to be able to make a profit to to remain open and the biden administration are making this as hard as possible and that now now that february's passed and we're just heading into march they're they're describing that um there's going to be more of an, an agonizing price rise and they can't see really an end to it they feel that the changes being made and the fact that these changes are being made so fast in the states are having a direct or a correlative effect on fuel prices around the world. Now, you could say in this instance that, well, we can just get fuel from somewhere else. Supply and demand. All of a sudden, fuel that has been available to the world worldwide via the United States has almost stopped or come to a standstill or been made um, not affordable. Other countries throughout the world who produce uh, coal and oil for us as well are going to see this as an opportunity that that's that, that there's less market so they can put their prices up as well and that's part of the effect that we're seeing as well you can definitely see a correlative change or adjustment in the prices of fuels and it's di- directly correlative to who's in government and what their policies are and more specifically what their policies on on fossil fuels are, climate change etc Okay, so next we'll move on to an article or a couple of articles that I've read recently about uh, uh, Labor governments pushing for far-right extremes groups to be uh, declared as terrorist groups. And there's some validity to what they're saying. It's, uh, it's the, the type of people that we don't want walking around our streets. We, they're the type of people that we don't want to be seen given any funding or opportunity for any fundraising in Australia. And they're the sort of uh, groups that we want to keep out of any discussion to do with anything moving forward in, in, in our multicultural country. So some of the headlines I'm reading here is Labor pushes for far-right extremist Proud Boys to be declared terrorists. Now, the Proud Boys are a, a group of uh, terrorists that uh, uh, originated uh, from the United States and in certain um, capital cities and certain um, states in the states, they have been listed as a terrorist group. Uh, so they've been... Um, taking part in rallies and um, they've been trying to organise events where where they're encouraging people to have a uh, very aggressive approach to how they want to get their voice across. Another headline, neo-Nazi uh, Sonnenkrieg division to become the first right-wing terrorist organisation listed in Australia. Uh, so that's obviously by the name of it. That's a German org- organisation. And from what we can tell, there is no footprint of that in Australia as well. But, you know, cut the head off before it even gets here. Just make it a, a terrorist group. And, and there's a few more articles in there. And to, to show you that um, that Australia takes this seriously, a, um, 
a far-right terrorist named uh, Philip Galea was jailed for 12 years after plotting. He didn't actually do anything. He was just plotting against Muslims and lefties in Melbourne. So an interesting read. Um, there's a bit of a snapshot of it up here. You can see that the Australian government does take this seriously and, and you know, the, the media, although this is from uh, the extremely left side of ABC, um, it's quite a fair report. So let, let's have a look at what terrorism is. Now, looking at Wikipedia, because you've, I've got to you know, talk about all areas, Wikipedia is not one of the places I go to for information because it's, uh, it's really not... Um, it's not monitored or it's not, uh, no one checks anything for accuracy. Pretty much, well, anybody can get on there and write whatever they want. And, you know, there is suspicions that Wikipedia are, are leaning towards the left. So anyway, there's no universal agreement on definition of terrorism. And that comes down to, to culture. Um, what is acceptable in Australia, um, uh, or sorry, what is not acceptable in Australia may be totally acceptable in another country. And they don't see that there's anything wrong with that. Um, in a country like China, so the Communist Party China, the their government would perceive that anybody that is dissenting towards the government would be a terrorist um, because they're you know, a communist country. They don't want anybody speaking out against the government. So various legal systems and government agencies use different definitions. Um, but governments have been very reluctant to, to, to clearly define or formulate uh, a legally binding definition because it would be very restrictive and like anything, people will try and find loopholes in, in those descriptions to say, well, because of this, we're not um, considered to be a terrorist organisation. Uh, and the term has become very, become very emotionally and politically charged, especially by the left. So basically the left these days will say that um, anybody that has a differing opinion to mine is a terrorist. And, uh, and that's the way that they carry on. And that's all a part of this cancel culture stuff that's going on as well. So now let's have a look at some of the, the footage from the, uh, the BLM protests. Now, there's been a lot of talk in the media, especially from the left, that there's a justification for the violence within the BLM circle because it's... Um, it's for a cause. Well, everybody has a cause and everybody has perspectives on everybody else's causes. doesn't mean that one cause necessitates or condones violence versus another cause. The, the footage, and I'm not going to show you the footage from the, from the, uh, the 2021 Capital Siege. Uh, everybody's seen it to death because the left wing controlled the media and it was all over the place. Now, it's interesting or important to note that uh, there was one death during the uh, um, the capital siege in 2021, and that was actually one of the the deemed right wing protesters. There was no no one else that was killed during it, but they're trying to say it was an insurrection and it's the worst violence that anybody's seen, and it's they're trying to classify it as domestic terrorism. Even to the point where public figures like um, CNN host Don Lemon are saying that it, it's wrong for conservatives to compare the Black Lives Matter riots that resulted in billions of dollars worth of damage to a brief hour of violence that happened at the Capitol building. When people refer to the BLM violence, they're talking about the summer of violence.
It's uh, not something that's um, that uh, just happened on a single instance. It happened continuously and it was ongoing. And he's saying that the Lemon was saying that the riots were born out of a justified cause, ending police brutality, while a capital riot was a result of a lie being pushed by President Trump and his allies about the 2020 election. Well, funnily enough, it's turning out that it's not a lie. There's uh, more and more court cases coming forward at the moment about the inaccuracies of the, uh, the voting process in the US election. And even a democratic state is trying to use that to their advantage now. So is it okay for the Democrats to do it, but it's not okay for the Conservatives to do it? It's just plain ridiculous. So here we have an example of the BLM peaceful protests. A lone white person in the street, sick upon by uh, up to 10, 10 people of colour and beating him to the ground and then still stomping on his head while he's on the ground. Peaceful. And here's another instance, a man trying to run away from a group of BLM protesters. He's punched, knocked to the ground, kicked in the head, and he's just left there to bleed. No one cares about him. And a man standing on the street with an American flag, punched in the face just for standing there with an American flag, and cue, cue the mob, come and get him. Sacrilegious, a country's flag being on the ground, absolutely sacrilegious. And cue the mob, there they go. Peaceful. And again, another white man on the ground being kicked completely unconscious. Peaceful. You know, this man was silly enough to try and defend himself or, or some property with a sword. Probably a bit silly for turning up in the first place. Knocked down in the street. Cue the mob. He got robbed after that one as well. The next footage is a little bit disturbing. That's a, a police officer in Portland, I'm pretty sure, who, um, who was killed for uh, trying to defend shops in a shopping centre. 77-year-old grandfather. Peaceful. Okay, so now let's um, go on with some statistics. So I'll put it up on the screen. We're looking at uh, statistics from the Office of the Juvenile Justice and uh, Delinquency Prevention Program in the United States. So BLM's whole story is that, uh, that more people of colour are, uh, are killed while being dealt with by the police or people of colour are targeted by police. I'm not going to break this down into individual individual uh, crimes. I'll just go of a total of all the offences. So we're looking at percentages. Just over 10 million um, offences were committed by all races. 7 million of them were committed by white people. Just over 2.5 million were carried out by um, black people, and there were some statistics there for, for other races as well. And that was in 2019. Let's have a look at 2018 in case that was just a, you know, a specific or a particular year. Ten and a half million total, just over seven million white, just under three black, and 200,000 American Indians. Okay, now these, uh, for, uh, these next um, graphs are from Statistica. Uh, it's a little bit of a confusing graph to look at, but uh, I'll put a screenshot up and you can have a bit of a look at it. 
So it's talking about deaths by, uh, sorry, talking about number of people shot to death by police in the United States from 2017 to 2021. So looking at white people in 2017, 457 people were shot by, white people were shot by police. 2017, black people shot by police, 223. So less than half, less than half. So if you looked at the statistics of who committed crimes and people that, and this statistics, people who are shot to death by police, there's a direct correlation of percentages there. It's about half, you know, give or, give or, give or take, but it's never going to be a perfect statistic. 2018, 399 white people killed. 2018, black people killed. 209. So it's actually on a decrease. So if, if you look at the difference between 2017 and 2018, there's been a decrease. Now, if you go to 2019, there's a slight increase, a decrease for white and an increase for black. And that's a little bit more, the, the numbers are a little bit closely matched there. But it's still a, a distinct difference that more people, more white people, are killed as a consequence of being shot to death by police when committing crime. 2020, the numbers are half again. So 432 white people killed, 226 black people killed. 2021, obviously we're at the start of the year, but still there's 34 people killed, white people killed by police in 16. So that's an end to the narrative by BLM straight away that the, the people of colour are, are more victimised by... Uh, specifically people that are black, because they are talking about black people, they're not talking about Hispanic people. People that are black are, um, are, are not overrepresented in the, uh, in the statistics. So one of the reasons why we are looking at this today is that there's, there's been a lot of what I would call justified violence by the left uh, in the name of Black Lives Matter. Now, I'm sure that the Black Lives Matter started out purely as Black Lives Matter. Uh, but then the, the BLM crowd came along and sort of took ownership of it and have taken it off on a parallel. Yeah, of course, Black Lives Matter. White Lives Matter. Creamy Lives Matter. All Lives Matter. But if you say all lives matter, for some reason, when you're inclusive rather than exclusive, you're a racist, which it's exactly the opposite. If you can only stand there and say Black Lives Matter, then you're being exclusive. So you're not being, or you're being divisive. You're separating people by their colour. That's racist. We do have similar issues with the perception of over-misrepresentation of uh, persons of colour in Australia. But as I've spoken about before, they're overrepresented in committing crimes because they're overrepresented in committing crimes. It's as simple as that. If you don't want to be represented, if you don't want your race to be highly represented, change your life, move on with your life. And if you're saying that people of colour in Australia can't change their lives, there's plenty of people that have. Plenty of people that have. I've had friends in the army that were of colour that were very successful. There's successful politicians, successful sports persons, success in all areas. There's successful business people, people that have gained positions on news teams like with the ABC. They have a high concentration of people of colour. For all the wrong reasons, they do, but they do. 
The people that we need to start listening to are people like Jacinda Price. Jacinda Price doesn't care what anybody thinks about what she says. She wants to say what she needs to say to help her people, and that's what we should all be doing. This segregation within politics, and it's driven by politics, and it's driven by the left of politics, trying to keep us divided and treat us separately is wrong. It's, it's by definition, it's racist. We should all be treated the same. Okay, so let's tie all this in together. At the beginning of the cast, I spoke about the fact that the Australian government was looking at increasing or including some uh, groups into the terror watch list in Australia. The evidence that, uh, that we've seen today, based on the, the cultural sort of group that the Australian government put these terrorist groups into, would mean that they need to consider listing BLM or at least the, uh, the, the extreme version of BLM, which they're going to have to do to the whole part of BLM anyway, it needs to be listed as a terror group. Millions of dollars worth of damage, targeting specific groups because of their beliefs, people being attacked because of their race, people being attacked because of their cultural ideals, people being attacked purely because they're out on the street, just pe random people, just because they are white being attacked on the streets. Funding. Governments are funding money to, to BLM. Governments and certain, um, especially in Australia and definitely in the States, political parties are giving money to BLM. So they're funding a terrorist organisation. People have died because of BLM. People have died. The stats have shown today that... More white people are shot to death or killed to death or whatever to death by, um, by police. Yes, the people of colour are overrepresented in committing of crimes and the crimes that result in this sort of action, but it's because they commit more crimes. If they want to change that, they need to change that. A white person can't change how a black person's going to act they need to change it within. It's the same with black people in Australia, indigenous people in Australia. White people can't change that. The indigenous people need to, to own that. And in, interestingly enough, as a bit of a side issue, I was listening to a Candace Owens podcast where she was interviewing a, uh, an American Muslim who was, I think he was Syri uh, Syrian or Iranian. Um, and they were talking about, and he's actually an American and he served in the American Navy. They were talking about how to fix it. And his statement was that it's got nothing to do with non-Muslim uh, people or non-Islamic people. It can only be fixed from within. And he welcomes criticism from people on the outside because it brings it to the attention of the, the, the people of, um, of Islam or the Muslims that aren't, aren't um, radicalised, are just interested in serving their Lord. So that ties it in together. It's got nothing to do with race. It's got everything to do with colour. And the, the fact that if we're looking in Australia as listing all of these other groups as terrorist organisations, BLM need to be included on it. Absolutely need to be included on it. Thanks for listening.